Hey, welcome to Marketing on the Moon, the only emerging tech marketing podcast teaching you how to implement the right strategies that actually move the needle and how to navigate your marketing career. From securing a promotion to reducing your customer acquisition costs, because gatekeeping is so last year. I'm your host, Regan Olsey, and I've spent almost 10 years specializing in customer acquisition and demand generation across tech, AI, Web3, and hospitality. But I am so much more than my marketing career, and so are you. So if you're ready to tackle the human side of marketing, stick around. I promise you won't want to miss this. So it's actually changed to fall outside and it's freezing. (laughs) It's like, I'm so not used to winters like this and it's not even winter yet, but I have a couple layers on and it all of a sudden went from like 65 degrees Fahrenheit to 30. Like it's cold. Like 30, 40. (laughs) Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. All of a sudden we're like, oh, it could snow. No, I couldn't. It was not that cold yet, but it will get there. Wow. That is. I know. Yeah. I'm very much a warm weather person. So it's cooled Mm -hmm. off a little bit here, but not to the point where I've become kind of morose about everything. So (laughs) there, that will come a little bit later, but right now, like I'm looking outside, it's like sunny and nice and it's not getting dark too, too early yet. So I'm like hanging in there. Yeah. Hang in there until daylight savings happens and we change and then it's all going to go downhill. No, kidding. But like, but kind then of- things will change. Yeah. That's why I, I'm wearing the purple sweater today so that I can try to bring some brightness into my life. I don't know. Trying to make it fun where I can. Yeah. We'll do what we can. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. So I will kick us off here. So hello and welcome, Kelsey. I'm so excited to have you on Marketing on the Moon. For those of you listening, Kelsey has a kick-ass background. Her background is so cool. She was early days marketing leadership at Consensus. She was the CMO at CoinFund. She is now the CGO at Shardium. So I'm going to let Kelsey introduce herself here in a second, but we're going to talk about her marketing career. We're going to learn about Kelsey, who she is, and how she has really helped develop what marketing looks like in Web3, but then also has continued to grow all these companies even after she left Consensus. So Kelsey, welcome. Hi. Hi. Thank you so much (laughs) for that wonderful introduction. It's really great to be here. Yeah, you're so welcome. Do you want us to kick us off by giving a little bit of an intro into who you are, your background, and you clearly work in Web3. So tell me about your entry into Web3 as well. Absolutely. So I've been working in the marketing, comms, brand space for, I think, well over 10 years now. I kick things off, though, more focused on the fashion and beauty industries. I'm based here in New York City. That's where a lot of the jobs were, and everything sort of came together for me there. But I was really excited to sort of pivot into tech after a number of years in those industries. It was great. You know, I can appreciate nail polish, but I don't necessarily want to focus all day, every day on nail polish. So yeah. I started doing, you know, like I'm like bread <laughs> nails right now, but you know, I, I don't need to be thinking about that 24-7. So I, I was doing some consulting with tech clients and was at this party actually in Soho here in New York City and met someone from Consensus, the big, you know, Ethereum focused company. And this was probably yeah. 2017. And had a conversation with her, was really interested in Web3 because I'd heard a little bit about Web3 and blockchain from some banker friends I had here and they were very nervous about it, which was certainly <laughs> uh-huh. intriguing for me. I was like, if they're if they're uncomfortable about it, I definitely want to learn more and decided to sort of take the plunge. And I gave myself a little crash course on Web3, what it was, Ethereum, um, and went through all the rounds of interviews and started out as a community strategist there. From there, I mean, it was just like a really interesting time, I think, to start 
in Web3. And I think that that kind of story also can still happen for folks today. We're still early enough that, hey, if you want to pivot, if you want to start working in Web3, if you want to start working in tech, you can give yourself a little crash course and really pursue it. And I would just say, don't hold yourself back from doing things like that. If there are people listening that are sort of considering or they feel a little intimidated because the information is out there and there are folks out there that would also support you on your journey. Yeah, absolutely. I love that you just made that point because I think it's an important reminder. People often think that the space is saturated, that there's no more space for them, that if they come in, they're going to be so far behind. It's just not true. Like I will reiterate it time and time again. There are resources out there. There are people out there. And the community is so great that I feel like they help you onboard. When you were first onboarding into Web3, I bet you had to do a lot of that on your own. Absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Because we were all, most of us were new. So it was a lot of research on my own. And I was fortunate in that that community strategist into that sort of head of experiential or co-head and then head of experiential marketing role really allowed me to travel a lot to those different Web3 conferences. So we're in Berlin, Mm. we're in Lisbon, we're in Prague, all over the place. And that was also a great way to learn because I think that by immersing yourself in the community when you can, like I said, I was very privileged because it was part of my job. I could not have, you know, spending all that money to travel yourself on your own dime is not feasible for most people. But it was a great way to really immerse yourself and understand some of the inner workings, because I think that with a lot of marketing growth, that big umbrella of different activities that a lot of us do, everything is human focused. So if you lose too much sight of that, you know, you're not going to have the impact you want. And it's great to really sort of refocus yourself by being around the exact humans, those audience segments that you're hoping to connect with and sort of build that wonderful affinity with. Yeah, it's the number one rule of marketing, right? Like you have to go and speak to your customers if you don't fundamentally understand why they want to invest their time, their effort, their energy into this space. It's going to be very difficult for you to craft a compelling marketing campaign to build an event, to write a blog, whatever you're doing, whatever strategy you're executing on. That's going to be hard if you don't understand them. Exactly. And everything should be done through that lens. And you still see it happening fairly regularly. And it's this easy kind of trap to fall in, but very talented people building interesting things and kind of being like, oh, I built this thing, but no one really wanted it. Maybe Mm -hmm. just So you really need to think through that like on very early side of when you're developing things. And then, of course, that's the heart of everything we do in our types of roles as well. Yeah, totally. And so tell me a little bit more about your marketing experience pre-Web3, because I'm curious how you were able to make that shift in that transition. It's clearly very possible. You can be super successful. But tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, it was really, it was an interesting time. So I was working with a very small kind of niche luxury beauty brand here in New York City. And something that translated really well from that to Web3 was it was very partner and sort of event community oriented. So we were co-hosting different gatherings with artists, um, say like Soho House, Spring Place, all of those types of locations here in New York City. And Uh even though I wouldn't suggest the exact same things for a lot of the Web3 projects I've worked with, you start to really dig into and understand the human element of what you do, whether you're selling or pitching ideas around nail polish and artist collaborations, or if you're looking at, you know, Web3 communities and infrastructure gaming partners, you really, it's just like seeking to understand 
what people want and need from you and really trying to communicate that and really having some fun too. I think sometimes it's easy to forget that part, but you should be having a great time. And those types of events in the beauty and fashion industry that I worked on before and the marketing campaigns, there's an element of fun. And I think that that's really important for Web3 too. Like this is an emergent, exciting technology, even for the more institutional side of things, you can still have some fun with it. Oh, hell yeah. I mean, my background's in events. My background is in field marketing. That's been a lot of my career, but I started my career in hospitality. And so everything I do, I like to think about how are we touching the five senses, right, of our audience. And in Web3, that's super important. People don't just want to go to a stuffy conference where they're wearing a suit. They actually want to sit and be able to have the conversations that not only move the needle, but build a relationship with the people that they want to build relationships with. And you can do some really fun activations with that. You just have to remember that they're humans, right? Like humans like to have fun. We like to, you know, we don't just want to go to a party and be around people shoulder to shoulder like sardines. We like the idea of a cool DJ. We love, I don't know, I one time, I've talked about this before, but I built a custom Bitcoin waffle machine or my team did that we brought on site to an event. And so there was a big build your own waffle bar and it was for a conference and people loved it. It was a great conversation piece. They were excited. And then they had little Bitcoin waffles and it was in Amsterdam. Oh, that sounds delicious. And now I yeah, want it was really <laughs> It was really fun. So there are just ways that you can kind of play around and have fun with all of this. Do you feel like you were surprised by anything in Web3? Was there anything where you were like, ooh, that I did not expect coming into this industry? I was very surprised by the lack of diversity. Oh, yeah. It shouldn't have been necessarily, but it was very, and I guess still is, pretty stark. And I was a little bit taken aback by that initially. So that was a little bit surprising to me. I was also surprised by the level of chaos that I saw a lot of times when it came to a lot of folks that were new to the space and that's amazing, but maybe they were new to Web3 and also new to marketing and new to comms and new to just absolutely everything. And it's great because everyone has to start somewhere. But when you have a large group where that's the case for most people, it can be pretty chaotic and exciting. And, you know, it all came together, but that was an initial surprise because I was used to working with more a variety of like experiences and and different skill sets, I guess. Yes. And you bring up a really great point because I agree with you. There's a we'll talk about the gender diversity issue here in a second. Cause I'd love to hear more of your thoughts on it. And I think it's a big conversation that I like to have because it's so important. But on, you know, in terms of the experience levels that you're working between, I found that really interesting too. You you have two different types of people I found in Web3. You have People who are relatively new to their career don't totally understand the marketing fundamentals, but understand Web3 and love Web3. And then on the flip side, you have your senior and experienced marketers who just don't totally connect into Web3. And so the unicorns are the you know, small percentage of people that have both of those things. It, you know, it's hard to find. It's a hard skill set to find. And I want to continue to close that gap. As a leader and as an early marketer in this space, How do you start to approach that as you're building out your teams? Like, how do you, you know, how do you manage that knowing there's an almost inevitability in Web3 and you're going to have to lean between both types of people? 
Yeah, for me, I think it's key that person in the lead role, whatever it is in that department, say marketing, comms, branding, ideally really needs to be that combination. Mm. I've seen situations where you have a very talented marketing or comps professional with zero Web3 experience leading a Web3 focus, you know, marketing or comps team, and it just does not work out. And that, you know, is frustrating for everyone involved. So I think as much as possible, finding that combination person to lead and mentor and with the, you know, with setting a clear expectation that they will need to lead and mentor the team when it comes to sort of the nuances of Web3 marketing and how you show up. And even on the operations side, when it comes to your team, like what is and isn't okay as a marketing professional, you have to be able to be prepared to sort of run the full spectrum there in terms Mm -hmm. of being a team leader, because Mm -hmm. it's inevitable, like you said, that you're going to have different experiences and different combinations, but just making sure that you have one or two people ideally that does have, that do have that combination is just really important because or else how are people learning and adapting and growing together if there's no one to sort of help guide some of that process with the experience that they have? Yeah. What do you, what have you seen happen when a marketing leader has been brought in and only has the fundamentals experience or vice versa, only has the Web3 experience? When I've seen sort of the only the the fundamentals experience piece, I've seen very traditional structured ways of doing things that sort of take a little bit of the energy at times out of Mm. Web3 marketing, if that makes sense. And it's really interesting because I can't tell sometimes. So someone's from a very traditional marketing background, for example, they likely are working or worked before at a large organization. They had a team. This is like a big corporation. You know, they've Uh been doing this for maybe decades and that's amazing. But it's hard to say if it's Web3 or a startup environment that is causing some of the the challenges in terms of trying to apply these traditional, I have a 50 person plus team structures to a startup where everyone's expected to do a little bit of everything. And there's always, I've seen a lot of disconnects there. And then Mm -hmm. everyone ends up being frustrated because maybe the traditional marketing leader is not getting the results that they want or expect, but then the overworked team of maybe five to 10 people is getting increasingly frustrated and don't feel like the leader understands how this startup environment works. And then the whole other bucket is working with a founder as the head of a company. Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) So that can other can of worms that if you are used to a more corporate environment, there's this reporting structure, the person in charge is the CEO or president or, you know, both, none of them are probably the founder. Mm-hmm. So it's a very different dynamic when you are a marketing professional working directly with a founder versus a traditional sort of leadership structure. Have you found that to be the the case at all and folks that you've collaborated with as well? Oh, absolutely. If, when you work with a founder, you you approach the conversations and you approach the relationship in a very different way because oftentimes when you're working with, you know, if you're a director or VP and you're working with the CMO or, you know, even if you are a CMO and you're working with the CEO, you're coming in and, and you're a little bit more objective about what's happening. You can look at the KPIs, how they're tracking towards the business goals, are they driving bottom line revenue, yada, yada. 
if you are working with a founder, I find you almost need to cushion some of your pitches a little bit more. Like you really need to understand who the founder is, what drives them, what makes them tick, which is why it's so important if you are going to join a small team that you buy in to the founder's values because it's their baby. It's like this is the thing that they work on 24-7. They're thinking about it all the time. And if you come in and you rip apart some strategy or you you don't understand their personality or how to work with their personality, it's it's going to cause a lot of friction. And I unfortunately have seen that before where the head of marketing and the founder, they just they can't they can't get along. Have you found because I've definitely seen this before some founders, especially if they're technical, sorry, technical founders, and they don't understand the value of marketing that can cause some like the most friction that I've seen, because if they don't understand the value of marketing, they're never going to understand why you need to spend a certain amount on a sponsorship or why you need to build out a big booth to, you know, drive home the right branding or I don't know, they just they just don't get it in the same way. Do you have that experience, too? Absolutely. I would say definitely yes, because I think that there's often a lack of understanding. And I've also encountered, luckily not very frequently, there's a brand of founder that I've seen in the past that also just thinks that they can do everything better than you. And I feel like that this like lack of understanding of marketing founder and the I can do this better than you founder are sometimes the same person and they, you know, maybe more than sometimes, (laughs) often the same person. So I think it's really good to be mindful of that. If you're kind of like look at a role where you're reporting directly into the founder, understanding that like a, I think a large part of your job can be managing the founder's emotions. Yeah. Especially when uh, so much of Web3 is we are using the fundamentals that have worked in marketing, but we're putting our own spin on it. And so marketing is done differently. You have to be flexible. You have to pivot. You have to be willing to try new things that may not always work. And so you combine founder's personality with a lack of understanding of marketing with a I can do this better than you attitude. And it's just it's a recipe for a really hard time. I don't know if I would say disaster, but a really hard time. And so (laughs) and I'm sure you you know, you've seen what it takes to build successful campaigns Can you tell me a little bit about what it was like, if you want to talk about this, but on the ground, early days, Web3, and maybe some of the strategies where if you had any, where you were like, is this going to work? Is this not going to work? I'd love to hear a little bit more about some of that brainstorming process or, you know, some of those new ideas that you all had swirling and ultimately executed. Absolutely. So that was one of the really fun phases. Like, so say, I think this was 2018, 2019. We're kicking around a lot of ideas that were more on the creative side, because really to our conversation or points earlier about the human element, it's all about the people. So it's like, how do we humanize this? Because this is this big daunting concept that people are frustrated about without even knowing what it is. And they're nervous about it. And then we have folks that are already like in Web3 and curious that were at that point also skeptical of, I'll use consensus as an example, because it was seen as a large centralized entity, which Mm -hmm. is very much against the ethos of decentralization, even though that was not the intention there. So in order to combat some of that, we came up with this really fun campaign around DevCon. I'll use DevCon Osaka as an example. And so we had at that point, you know, consensus had its own, you know, organization. We're basically Uh looking at, you know, 
getting the messages across. What is Ethereum? Really, what is Web3? What is blockchain technology? Like, how do we educate almost a broader public and start bringing more devs also over to Web3? And then we had Spokes, which were almost portfolio companies. So think MetaMask, Gitcoin, Infura, mm-hmm. and Apple. We had Diligence at that point. So all of those different groups. And we're like, how do we create campaigns, a strategy around that, that brings both you know, success and drives towards consensus, but also is serving each of these like very, very special projects. So we came up with this concept as this like great cross-channel campaign. You know, so we're thinking newsletter, like fun graphics on social. And it kind of came to a head at DevCon Osaka, where we set up this entire garden scavenger hunt on the water in Osaka outside of DevCon. And each of the projects that we were working with, so the ones I mentioned earlier, had agreed to be sort of transformed in these little characters that were perfect for the gardens. We have these big cutouts. So for example, Diligence was this like pastel multicolor griffin and we had that set up in the garden. We had stickers and then we had NFTs as well back in the day. So we set up this really cool scavenger hunt where people had to go, attendees, and mostly were a lot of builders at that point, but also some like kind of crypto curious folks find the different founders or kind of designated spokespeople for those projects and answer a question that they had. And so the questions from the founders and spokespeople were everything from what's your favorite meme to which feature that you would you want to see next, all of those types of things. So they're getting a lot of fun information and bonding with the community and humanizing their projects. This is like making consensus a lot of fun because people are engaging with this in this beautiful space we set up mm-hmm. and they collected a, an NFT and like a little hex sticker at each single stop. And then at the end, anyone who completed it came back to us and were entered in for a drawing for like a large dinner in Osaka, which is one of the culinary capitals of the world. For them oh, to my God. And it was Fantastic. And we're able to string that again, you know, together with the other events. It's never a one-off, you know, the newsletter Uh follow-ups, we converted a lot. It was fantastic. And, you know, next stop, you know, follow us here. So it was a lot of fun. We saw great traction from that. And that's probably one of the highlights because you could just be really creative and setting this space up and working with the Ethereum Foundation at that point. And just a wonderful experience overall. And I was, I mean, it was a lot of work to set up. I was extremely tired and relieved afterwards, but it went well, so it's all worth it. You know how sometimes those trips are. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. Like where you just do not sleep and then you find yeah. yourself awake in your hotel room packing bags at two o'clock in the morning. Exactly. Yes, I've definitely <laughs> been there. <laughs> like 10 coffees in in the morning. I'm like, are you okay? I'm like, yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. Or halfway through the day, I realize that my tights are on backwards and I go, oh, I definitely didn't sleep last night. <laughs> like, wait a second. I'm like, no amount of moisturizer or anything will like bring the life back into my face right now. So no, yeah. but then, but I love it. I love the adrenaline that comes along with it. I love the focus and I love getting to execute some really freaking cool campaigns. I mean, that's awesome. And I love that you even talk about the follow-up with it too, because Oftentimes people think, oh, marketing, you're just there to create some cool experiences. No, there is a science behind this. Like it's an art and a science. We we have these really incredible experiences where you humanize the founders of these different projects that you're working on in order to develop relationships and connections and follow up so that when we hit their email in the future, they're not just like, oh, who the hell is this? Get out of my, you know, it's not spam. It's something that they actually want to engage with and start to you know, move through our nurture streams to use a marketing term. And so I 
I just, I love that so much. Again, experiential marketing will always have my heart. So any cool stories that you have about that is awesome. Do you have photos from that event? I think I do. And actually, I was cleaning out one of my closets the other day and I found some of the stickers as well. So I'll see if I can find those and send some pictures. It was just like a really colorful, fun experience that also helped build some of those relationships internally as well between Mm -hmm. the marketing department and these different founders and teams and spokespeople that we had. So So it's just so much fun seeing people enjoy something that you've worked so hard to put together. And then you also, of course, see the results on the marketing side, which is really important. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. If Kelsey can find those photos, which fingers crossed, I will put them up on Instagram. I'll tag you in them. And then we can, you know, show everybody that is probably curious after listening to this episode about what that event looked like. I know I am. Awesome. I'll take a look for those. Cool. Yes, please do. Okay. On the flip side of that, do you have an example of a campaign or a program that you ran where you were like, oh, we mucked up on that a little bit? Do you want to share something about, you know, some learnings that you walked away from? early days paid ads. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I am always skeptical of the whole paid ad situation, especially when it comes to Web3. I don't like seeing marketing agencies pitching just like, okay, here's thousands and thousands of dollars to spend on ads that are just like, go to the website. Those don't work. We tested things early days that were somewhat similar because we didn't know yet. It was 28. Mm -hmm. And so then we gave it some thought. We're like, okay, that did not go the way we hoped. They were expensive. They are occasionally not even allowed because, yeah. you know, it's been kind of fluctuating back and forth, which is extra stressful if you've set up a campaign already that hinges yep. that in part. But what we did find and how we pivoted was, so one great example is we're at, we were in Lisbon for some large like tech events and some Web3 events. And we were hosting a whole space that was workshops that were these really great little Web3 workshops. And we found that a targeted paid ad for signing up for those workshops performed really well. So the pivot was being super, super specific around who you're getting in front of and exactly what you want them to do and have it be something fun. That worked a lot better. And then I've seen... Also, and we're, you know, I'm interested in actually testing some of this paid ads specifically for, say, like a newsletter sign up where you're having an interesting clip or blurb from the newsletter and the newsletter offers the incentive of, hey, like we host events regularly in New York City, sign up, we would love to have you there. You'll learn things and you can also have a glass of wine with us. Mm -hmm. It's a winning combination or specifically for guides that are carefully put together and published and getting those in front of the right people. So I think that there's a time and a place, but using that as the overall blanket, this is our main tactic, feels very inorganic and not in line with how the community-oriented nature really of Web3 and Web3 marketing. So that was one that didn't work as well, but then we were able to pivot and get some success there. Cool. I mean, you're so right, though, that even if you think about like you or I, when we go through and I see paid ads come up on LinkedIn, if it's not something that I'm immediately going to get some value out of, meaning if it's not a newsletter, if it's not an event, I'm going to be hard pressed, like you'll be hard pressed to have me click on that ad to go to the website because there just hasn't been that relationship developed yet. It's often early days that you're connecting with these folks and 
they need to understand what they're going to get out of it in return. So I love that point that you made about events converted really well for you in terms of, you know, people signing up for the workshops or the newsletter of, hey, come get access to this exclusive environment. Not everyone's going to get access to it. I think, again, doubling down on that human part, people love exclusive. People love to feel like they are one of a kind and that they are going to get something that no one else is going to get. We can continue to provide that even in the corporate world, even with corporate marketing. So I think that's a great reminder for folks to walk away with. Okay, we're kind of coming to the end. So I want to pivot a little bit. I want to talk about the gender diversity issue in Web3. Because with a lot of what we're saying, I think the big caveat is, especially as women in the space, you're going to be conversing with and developing relationships with men a lot of times. And so all the advice that we give, I think we give it with that thought in the back of our head of how are you going to be able to have these conversations with male founders? I mean, what is it? 95% of all companies in Web3 are, have a male founder and 2% of women in Web3 get access to VC funding. Like, it's a, it, they're very, very small percentages. And that kills me. Like, it, it just, it hurts my heart. It hurts my heart when I show up at conferences. Do you want to say a little bit more about your experience in Web3? I'm sure it's, it was like that early days. Has that changed at all? Are we seeing any positive steps in the right direction? I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. Yeah. So I think for a while we were seeing some positive steps in the right direction. And I think we have regressed. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> On the positive side, though, there's organizations like SheFi that are supportive communities for onboarding women. I think that that's amazing. Maggie's doing really great work over there. Yeah. Sure. But overall, like you attend conferences and you're looking at panels or just it can be side remarks as well. I was shocked. So I was speaking at a conference maybe five months ago or so in New York City. And I was on a panel about L1s, which is great. I tend to avoid any panels that are like, this is women in Web3. And we're, you yeah. know, because also I think we need to be a part of the actual like larger conversation. That's not to say that women shouldn't have spaces to spend time and, you know, make sure that they're supporting each other. But I don't find that those panels kind of put us in the place that we need. But there was a woman in Web3 panel there and it was introduced by the MC as, and now the most attractive panel. Ah. And you should have seen my face. I was like, that did not just happen. It did. Oh. That was five or six months ago, you know, and the event was overall great. Did the announcer mean anything bad by it? No, but that still unfortunately does have an impact. You know, it puts things in a certain light when it comes to those types of panels and, and being a woman engaging those types of conversations. And so it was really, it's concerning and disappointing. And that's still like my kind of journey through Web3 has been super privileged and I've gotten a lot of opportunities that other people would not, but I think it's still, we should all be putting an effort into making sure we're actually building something different with Web3 yeah. rather than repeating the exact same patterns as the traditional finance system or, you know, Web2. Yes. yes, that is what I say all the time. We can't just go and replicate the issues that we know exist, that there yep. are, there are, diversity, equity, and inclusion teams that exist in these big tech companies 
for that purpose. So why are we then taking four steps back when all of that research and development has been done for us? These frameworks, they work. And there are reasons why we need to implement them, meaning to increase gender parity, make sure that we are bringing new ideas in, fresh ideas in. We're developing teams that offer an element of psychological safety, right? Like that's not psychologically safe to sit up on a stage, at least, you know, for me, and then have it be introduced as here's the most attractive panel. Immediately, you're putting someone down effectively. You may not mean to. And I think that's the major issue is that when you just keep women separate, when you just keep us on women in Web3 panels, women in tech panels, keep us in women-only groups, you aren't developing allies. You're just developing spaces in these echo chambers where we're saying the same thing over and over again instead of really teaching other people why it's so important to change your behavior, why it's hurtful. And that shouldn't always be our responsibility, but it unfortunately early days does need to be it. Otherwise, you end up seeing booth girls. Otherwise, you end up seeing right dancers hired at parties to come in. Like all of these things are so male focused and male dominated and it trickles down. It trickles down to the product. What is the what is the phrase? Oh, I love this quote and I just can't remember it right now. It's culture ends up in your customer's lap. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's completely true. Mm-hmm. We, we keep seeing it and I know a lot of I think also a lot of the layoffs that I saw happening disproportionately impacted women. I think that a lot of times marketing, comms, brand people are the preferred scapegoats when things are not working out well. And a lot of times from what I've seen, not always, those are the departments that might have a few more women than the other departments. And so if you're eliminating those entire you know, parts of the team, a lot of times then you end up with even fewer women in Web3 who then are kind of disillusioned. I saw it, you know, I don't know how many layoffs there were early in in my career that somehow stuck through the whole time, but seeing group after group just leave individuals that that are so talented, leave Web3 Web to never come back was really discouraging. And I think we're seeing kind of the results of that now to a degree where it feels like we've taken a bit of a step backwards. I know the market conditions right now are extremely challenging. So okay. I'm not counting that, but we need to really be thoughtful about having diverse perspectives when it comes to speakers, making okay. sure you're advocating for others to get on stage and have those conversations and offering that a- encouragement. I think a little bit can go a long way, or at least I'd like to think so. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And then another thing I'll tack on to that, too, is I found that it's typically women who are pointed to first when it comes to assuming someone is or is not interested in Web3. What I mean by that is people look at women and they go, oh, they're not interested, which I think bleeds into hiring decisions. It bleeds into layoff decisions, because if you don't feel like someone is interested in the industry, well, it's going to impact every other thing that they do. And we have a part to play, right? We have a responsibility to educate ourselves, but we can't deny that all of the educational materials that have been built up until this point, SheFi and similar programs aside, have been developed by men, for men. And so when you and I joined really early on, I remember I had a moment where I was like, I don't know if this industry is for me. This is boring. Like, I gotta go. And I'm so, so proud that I stuck through it, but it was because I had to teach myself in my own language. I had to find the cool case studies. I had to find the cool campaigns. I had to 
meet other marketers in the space. But without doing that, it would have been very difficult. And so that's another thing, thing that I think people need to think about and they often forget. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think it's really important for leaders of different organizations across the board, but you know, we're, we're specifically focused on Web3, to really kind of take a look at yourself and also think about, hey, like if the only way to get promoted here is by coming to my house and going golfing, and I would never invite a woman over to my house for one-on-one -on -one time because there's that's a whole other thing to have a conversation about. Oh, yeah. Then like, how are you going to ever get women in leadership positions? Then how are more women going to want to join when they see that there are no women in leadership positions? So, or very few. So why would they even join, you know, try to work in web three if they feel like their careers are not going to go where they want them to be for these talented, yeah. capable people. So it's, it's an odd dynamic that, again, I think is kind of repeating itself. You know, it's, we've seen things like this before in traditional tech and, you know, TradFi, but I, I think that there's still room to kind of change things and bring more people on. And, and I'm optimistic, tentatively yeah. optimistic. <laughs> yes, cautiously optimistic. I think that's a great way to put it. Kelsey, it's been so awesome to speak with you. I think we touched on so many incredible points. I can't wait to listen to this back and just hear your stories about the campaigns that you've run again. Please, please find me those photos. But I think Oh, this is a really good place to stop. I'll leave everybody with some food for thought about diversity, equity, and inclusion in the space. Thank you so much for being here. I will have to have you on again so we can continue this conversation. I'd love that. Thank you so much. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, you're so welcome. And there you have it. Thanks for tuning into this week's episode of Marketing on the Moon. If you're feeling the marketing vibes, don't forget to subscribe and then share with all of your marketing friends. But if you're craving even more, I have you covered. Every month, I'm pulling together a rundown of my favorite campaigns from across emerging tech, my top marketing tips, career advice, and a sprinkle of general life musings to give you something to talk about at brunch this weekend. Head over to my LinkedIn to get on the list or just click the link in the description. It's up to you. Okay, and don't forget to tune in next week as we dive deeper into the human side of marketing.